Hey, before we start the show, we had a little quick announcement. My mom, Julie Richards, is starting her own private practice. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We just wanted to let our listeners know all across Columbus that mom is starting her own private practice you can check that out at jhrcounseling.com and i'm excited because november is a new month and a new season it's a good time to think about how you're healing and growing and the things that have great meaning for you i love working with developmental and relational trauma um, i have some specialties in emdr in trust-based relational intervention which is tbri and Pia Melody's model of developmental and relational trauma. So I'm excited to get started in this new business. And adoption stuff. And there's all sorts of things. Yeah, if you actually go to her website, you can see a whole list of things that she covers. So feel free to reach out at jhrcounseling.com. And I was like, okay, well, I'm trying to help you. (laughs) I was giving her my little, I taught her about PMLity and the ego states. Oh, cool. I did. Hi, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Julie Richards. And I'm Samuel Richards. And we're off the beaten path today with Montana Shuprai. Welcome, Montana. Hi. Glad to have you today. Glad to be here. So we're excited to just be able to hear the things that have been an impact in your life and Mm -hmm. how mental health has been important to you. So we just invite you to share part of your story today. Yeah. Um, So I guess just to start out, um, for anyone listening, this might be like a trigger warning. Uh, We are talking about um, uh, thoughts of suicide and touching on suicide. So uh, for anyone listening, that's just a trigger warning. Um, Thanks and for doing that. Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of the reason I'm here today is because when uh, I was younger, when I was eight years old, my mom completed suicide. Um, and growing up, it was kind of talked about in our house. Um, my dad welcomed questions growing up. Um, and he never really shied away from the topic. And I think that's probably helped me be so open talking about it um yeah so what what were your family relationships like growing up like up until the point of eight can you Mm -hmm. kind of describe a little bit of what home life was like for you siblings parents yeah like to help us kind of enter in a little bit yeah um so I am the oldest I have a younger brother, his name is Sean. Uh, He's two years younger than me. And my parents were married. Um, But looking back now, how I was raised, my, I can kind of see there were incidences where maybe weren't good things that happened with that my mom handled. Um, I think my mom just 
really wasn't able to parent sometimes. So who did you feel closest to growing up? Definitely my dad. Yeah. Um, I was definitely daddy's girl. Um, and my brother was definitely a mama's boy. Okay. So, um, and my mom, I don't think was ready to be a mom. My dad has told me um, that she, when she was pregnant with me, she wasn't really like happy about it. Um, even though they had planned for the pregnancy, like she wasn't happy to be pregnant. And like, it wasn't until a few months before she gave birth where she was like finally accepted and she's like, okay, I'm gonna be a mom type of thing. So um, I don't really know if she was ready to be a parent or if she really even had the ability to be one um, in the fullest capacity, I guess. We've talked a little bit about postpartum depression on the show and stuff like that and just research I've done in my own life. Mm -hmm. I know that pregnancy really kind of all the hormones coming out and stuff it's really difficult to deal with and it's a lot to deal with Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you how your dad created those places of safety that you felt really connected to him and stuff growing up especially with losing your mom um I think my dad always had a policy of being honest um he always wanted us to ask questions no matter how hard they were and he always let us know he'll answer them honestly Um, So if we had a question, especially about my mom's past, her upbringing was pretty rough and very abusive. Um, So with that, my dad was still always willing to answer questions. And, you know, sometimes the truth is ugly and my dad wouldn't shy away from it. He was always willing to talk about it. So um, I think just even letting his kids know that we could talk about it was like really crucial to growing up. Yeah. I think it's a stigma in our day-to-day whenever you say, hey, how are you doing? Everybody's just like, good, I'm doing great. Oh, man, everything's been so great. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a tendency to be over happy, so it's good to have those areas that you can talk. Or Mm. even people that are afraid to be honest with Mm -hmm. not being positive. They are afraid of complaining or being negative or something. Instead of being honest, I appreciate and value that authenticity Mm. and the vulnerability of being able to say, Things are hard. Life is hard. Yeah. It's definitely all of us, my whole family now, I think just because of that, with the, such a big moment in our lives, you know, we're all, we kind of wear our emotions on our sleeves. Like we're very open, like very willing to say, I'm not doing okay. Like I need a moment or something like that. So, yeah. What kind of support did you have around you through, you were close to your dad and you were saying that your brother was really close to your mom. Mm -hmm. Like how did you as a family um, rally and get through that hardship? Um, Definitely right after her death, um, because we didn't know it was a suicide. So we had to wait for the um, autopsy report to come back uh, weeks later. Um, So... Once it came back and my dad, you know, had to explain what even suicide was, we didn't know what the word was. An eight-year-old and a six-year-old so young. typically don't know that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first months were pretty rough. Um, there were, I know there was like one time my dad was drinking a lot. Um, and I remember my brother asked like what was for dinner. My dad was always staying in his room drinking and like we would always just like be in our living room. And my brother asked for dinner, um, what was for dinner that night. And I like just made him a PB&J, like put him in front of the TV and went up to my dad. And 
I'm a very like confrontational person when I'm angry. <laughs> like, you know, when I was a kid. So I remember just looking at my dad and yelling at him and saying, you're a drunk, mm. like at eight years old and like calling him out on it. And he sent me to my room. And I remember like my room could look into his room and I just like stared him <laughs> down <laughs> and he got mad. <laughs> but he, even to this day, he says that was the moment when he realized like, okay, I still have a responsibility to these kids. Like wow. he said that moment kind of woke him up to realize like. That's what I was thinking. It was just yeah. a wake up call for him. Uh, yeah, it was. And there was like a marked difference between like, like before that moment and after that moment. Um, how he kind of like took care of us and was like it's like he woke up and like kind of got back on his feet so that was a tremendous amount of courage on your part to be able to just call him out and to say hey we are kids and we need we need our dad yeah, right that's now crazy for eight years old for sure yeah I'm a com- yeah <laughs> I did so, things like that as a kid <laughs> so. yeah sometimes people are afraid to have any kind of confrontation you know mm-hmm. it's scary to face things mm-hmm. and in that moment you just in your young, youthful vitality, you were just like, hey, dad, I need you to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. great, too. I also empathize with your dad because to both be in that position and lose your partner that you've had for at least eight years. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I had a friend who lost her mom in a car accident, and I know it shook the whole family, but I know it really shook um, her dad. Mm-hmm. And... I can only imagine being in that position and then also having two kids. That's going to yeah. be yeah. big. That's a huge rally right there. Yeah. And I mean, especially on my dad's part, he didn't just lose his best friend. He lost his partner, his lover, his, you know, co-parent. You know, he lost a lot of stuff. So um, I think the fact that he was like ready to get back up so quick after that incident was, you know, admirable on his part. Yeah. It brings me back to our episode on resilience, really. It's really cool. We talked about in our resilience episode about it doesn't matter how much trauma you faced or how deep the trauma, the amount of supports around you can get you through that. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to see kind of a real life application of that. And the idea that we can get through anything of trauma if we don't have to walk alone. Mm -hmm. So did you find that there were support people in place that would come alongside your family or how did you go about finding that I I know it's hard to even remember I'm sure going back that far but definitely right after um you know right after someone passes away you know community you know goes to the funeral brings food and everything um and then as the months go by you know some people kind of like drop to the side they expect life is you know continuing for everyone um but obviously behind closed doors it's a little like harder to move on. Um, And so at the start, there were a lot of like, I mean, the community was really great that we were living in. And then we actually had to move. Uh, My dad was working at Walmart at the time, so he couldn't afford on that income three people. Um, So we moved, we lived in Michigan at the time, we moved to Ohio. So we were uprooted from that community, had to find a new community and everything. And Um, So that was pretty hard. And like the following years after that were like really tough. But I mean, a lot of transition, a lot of change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My dad started dating again. So that's its whole thing. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. 
It's cool. I kind of also think to our experience within our own family, kind of how, and I'm looking at my mom, this is not a visual <laughs> uh, medium. Um, just because with job loss and different things that our family faced, that trauma kind of bound us together to where now post-trauma, well, most mostly post-trauma, at least from my perspective, um, we're a lot closer and bound together and we've moved around a couple times mm-hmm. and it kind of like strengthened our family bonds. Yeah. It definitely brings the family closer together, you know, through thick and thin. It's hard whenever it's so much, so much change, so much transition, but also so much emotion that you would have to go through in your grief and mm. I can only imagine just the conflicting feelings that you would have about losing your mom. Yeah, and growing up, especially as a teenager, like I was, I had two men in the house, so I was the only woman. And my dad, God bless him, he's a very simple man. <laughs> so he's like, he's a boomer. He, you know, is very, doesn't really know the ways of being a woman or like what it means to do that. So I really had to learn things on my own on what it like meant to be a woman like growing up and you know just like really small things learning about your body and everything so um yeah I kind of had to do those that are really big own. things I don't think those are small things That's yeah. A lot. yeah yeah you really had to grow up at such a young age I mean even to be eight years old making your brother dinner and telling your dad <laughs> like we need you yeah that was a lot of growing up you did really fast yeah yeah, my life has had a ton of strong women in it, so I imagine that you're definitely up there for your dad, just being <laughs> able to kick him in the pants <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and get that done. Yeah, we're a family of like, yeah, we call each other out. <laughs> we're very honest, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so today, looking back, have you gone back and addressed that? Um, have you kind of done some work in recent years? Mm, yeah, growing up, I was very angry. Um, I mean, like, I couldn't even sit down and talk about it like this. Um, and so, you know, when you're looking at survivors of suicide, and I would always, you know, Google survivors and, like, how, am I feeling the right way? Because I was always so angry about it um, and angry towards my mom. And, um, you know, I just felt like she was her death and her taking her, like, having her part in that. Um, made my family go through all this so I blamed her for a lot of stuff and kind of as I grew up and especially after I left the house went to college and like was living on my own didn't really have those milestones you know of growing up that I would need my mom there for um, I kind of started to address the anger and became a little more understanding of it Um, I joined like a a suicide prevention organization on OSU's campus and, you know, I tried to understand it really from a personal perspective and then, you know, I would go out and like talk about it to others. But yeah, the anger, I think will always be there, but it's significantly less than it was for sure. So it sounds like through having more emotional understanding for maybe what she was experiencing that gave you a path to compassion yeah and gave some meaning to Mm -hmm. um, her story as well as your healing yeah and I think it helped my family as well I think the less angry I became the more my dad was 
know, my dad was always willing to talk about it. Um, but because I was approaching it with a much more like open mind than I had been, I think he was, you know, happier to talk about it than he had been whenever I would bring it up. So, yeah. I always think it's amazing that if we are more, we've talked about being curious and compassionate, like being open and receptive to something really gives us a way of building a bridge of understanding of compassion and being able to say, I wonder what that was like Mm -hmm. for your mom, for your family. Yeah. There's a lot of pain. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't talk to my mom's side of the family. So, um, they live in Oregon haven't seen them in over a decade so it's you know I definitely fractured parts of the family um you know there's really just no relationship with her side of the family and the few times I have talked to them they've said it's you know it's really hard for us to talk to you guys because of how painful it is you know reminder of their sister of their daughter um and then for us as well the reminder that like this is her family and all of you guys went through the same childhood you know the adverse effects of that and um yeah it's just a lot of pain all around so sometimes it's like easier to just not broach that this brings me back to our last episode on boundaries like that sounds like a wall Mm. somebody's just built a wall and said like i'm not i'm not even gonna feel anything about that i don't want to even deal with it Mm -hmm. and how that totally closes you off it seems like it could have been hard that you not only lost your mom, but you lost like her whole side of the family. Um, I guess I don't see it as um, a loss per se. Um, certainly there is the potential for a relationship or there was a potential for a relationship. But, um, you know, my mom's side of the family, you know, my mom obviously had mental health issues and she was getting help for it at the time of her death. And the rest of my family on that side does have mental health issues. And they're, sometimes it's just easier to not not be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I know that sounds bad, but. Um, well, we did talk I about in that boundaries to, episode of just there are times that you need to have some safe distance from the things that are too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my grandfather is still alive and he was kind of like the abusive a person in the household. So um, I think that's probably why we try to keep our distance just because um, there's I think there's a lot of blame on him, on me and my brother's part. And I don't think we really want to get into it. At that's that point. really hard. I yeah. know what that's like feeling in anger towards a relative mm-hmm. and just trying to protect yourself. Yeah. Just kind of stay safe. Yeah. What meaning, going back to that thought of just the meaning in our hard times that we can try to make sense of things that are really hard, what meaning have you been able to find in understanding suicide and in, in trying to relate to or have compassion for others that are going through similar traumas? Mm-hmm. I think it's made me a more understanding person. Um, definitely with how angry I was towards my mom, whenever the topic of suicide would come up, you know, I would say really toxic things like that's selfish, like all that type of stuff. And so now that I've kind of tried to learn more about it from, um, you know, 
that perspective, I think I've come to understand, you know, it's these pe- these people are really suffering and it's not mm-hmm. from a selfish standpoint. It's just they're they're hurting. And yeah. um, so I think it's helped me definitely be a more understanding person. I think that's so important that to realize that that individual really is in so much pain and in so much suffering that they can't imagine how they would ever recover from it. They just need the pain to stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think unless you're in that position, I don't think you can really ever put wrap your mind around it. You know, I certainly can't. Um, So I, yeah, there are different coping. I wondered if we could take some, a real pause about like, coping whenever you feel these suicidal thoughts different ways I know one of them is reminding yourself that it's temporary Mm. is one of the ways that you can kind of get through it yeah Mm -hmm. also reaching out we've talked about in our community episode if you kind of realize these thoughts in your head go tell someone as Mm. quickly as possible (laughs) yeah Yeah, don't isolate yeah Yeah, that's going to be the gut move but reach out Mm-hmm. And definitely from like a friend perspective, um, you know, it's easy to like see a friend that's like down and say, oh, are you feeling OK? And, you know, maybe they don't want to go out as much. And, you know, after a while, you're just like, oh, this person isn't fun anymore. And so you stop like it's almost like a two way isolation. The person is isolating their self. And then after a while, the friends just, you know, maybe stop inviting them to dinner or something. So, you know, that can definitely push them towards more isolation. Yeah, and just getting to know ourselves on what are the things that bring comfort and soothing whenever our hearts are hurting, because there are so many things that can really overstress and overload us um, Mm. that can just take us outside that window of tolerance and um, just feel like we're drowning. So finding the ways that what are the things that will bring me comfort and support and That is really hard to do. It's the catch-22 of any kind of depression that you need some sense of agency and effort to be able to get better, but you feel like you don't have any. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did want to switch gears to more of a resiliency-type topic about your supports that you had growing up outside of the family. Mm -hmm. Like, are there women that you rallied behind or learned from? Or was it your group of friends that you decided to click and communicate with? Um, I have a very small family, no cousins. So it's just me and my brother. Um, So growing up, love my family, but they're not really kid. um, They're not really good with kids. I'll just say that. So um, when I would want to reach out or, you know, kind of um, lean on someone who was more like my friend's parents. You know, I was around my friends much more than I was my family anyway, because they live so far away. So um, it was usually my friend's parents, like in Girl Scouts, the leaders would be that support or um, even some teachers, I think, recognized that maybe I was a child that needed a little more attention. So they would give me that as well. Um, I had teacher, I had a teacher, um, she would keep a journal with me and only me and like I would take it home and write what how I was feeling and she'd reply back and we would just do that wow so, that's a cool impact she had on you 
Yeah. I still have it. So. Oh, that's so tender. Yeah. We've talked on our episodes about the importance of schools and teachers and because I know they have so much on their plate that they're trying to do. Yeah. And yet how important it is to make the connections like your teacher had with you. Yeah. Definitely. That's powerful. I love that idea. And you yeah. still have it today. Yeah. And they like sent me, you know, they one of them actually came to my house when it happened and she brought me like cards that the class I made and you know a stuffed animal she bought for me so yeah they were a really really great community that we had at that time yeah we'll take a quick pause to um send solidarity to the Chicago teachers and strike yeah um mom used to teach in Illinois as well so that's pretty cool um I definitely think that teachers take on a lot for pay that is minimal yeah and I can even see in my own life how teachers impacted me and went way above and beyond uh to help me grow and like it's really because of them that I stand here today I wanted to say growing up too how creating these safe spaces I feel like my family was one of the friends parents Mm. um that people would go to that we had multiple people who would eat dinner at our house multiple times and mom and dad have pseudo adopted a ton of my friends <laughs> mom is known as mama swag <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but I really do believe that um, your friends are a closer bond like who you choose to have a bond with mm. is um, more lasting and more durable than just a familial yeah, there you go. relationship um, the phrase blood is thicker than water. I don't know if you know the full phrase, but it's blood of the brother is thicker than water of the womb. So the longer phrase of that short sentence is just like who you choose to be friends with, who you choose to have your support is thicker, stronger. Oh, yeah. And definitely something to validate just the importance of we are made for connection and interpersonal Mm -hmm. relationships, not to be isolated, not to be alone. And sometimes that happens outside of the context of family. And that's hard for families to face and deal with um, for as much as possible. You know, we want to create that safe space at home, but sometimes we find it extending out beyond our home too. Oh yeah, Um, definitely growing up. I've always said this, my dad and brother don't believe it but I've always said that you know blood doesn't mean anything um you know if you have family members that are you know toxic or not really good for you then I always have validated anyone who says my friends are my family Mm -hmm. yeah I wanted to take this moment to also talk about a larger scope of things about society as I often like to do Mm -hmm. I think the focus on a nuclear family is something that ends up hurting us, that instead if we had a community focus that also includes your neighbors and your community, we expect everything to just be confined to the home. Mm. And even in this present day, when you have both parents working or even one parent working, it's too much for a single family to hold. And if we had a community-based view on things that a village raises a child, not just... um, Mm a single person or two single people. Yeah. I think that we can really grow to rely on each other and kind of change a perspective as well that it isn't 
this is my territory and no one else gets into it except for me and my family, but rather this whole place is home and I've reached out to everyone here. We all need support. We all need each other. And it's, I find it interesting how people think independence is a good quality and really interdependence is what is healthy. And even just this week, noticing different families going through hard things that our family has gone through too, and being able to reach out and share and care for each other in the midst of that is so powerful to know that you're not alone, that somebody else has gone through it or is going through it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of speaks to how importance the importance of um, preventing suicide preventing that desperation when we can mm. um, how do we create those safe spaces that we're always talking about yeah and I'd, on the topic of individualism like that's something that's really pushed in the United States right now where yeah. it's like your grades you achieve and then that impacts your grades at the end of the day or you make your own wage, and then at the end of the day, that's your wage. I don't need to go into deep about either of those, but just to say that humans have grown to be community-based. We, we've grown to rely on each other. And this idea of individualism really hurts us. It's important to be an individu individual that's separate and your own person, but not but. But in addition to, <laughs> it's also good to have a whole network of support. Well, and also, you know, to expand on that, that's not just the U.S. I think that's very Western culture, um, very individual, um, kind of like, this is yours, this is mine. It's not really, I think definitely with that, we isolate ourselves just trying to, like, push ourselves to do the best and, you know, stresses and everything. So, Yeah. In medieval times, they had something, a concept called the commons, which actually was a lot. It's been around for much longer than the medieval era. That's just when this private property thing kind of came in and took over. Mm -hmm. But it's still present in places like Puerto Rico, where you have just a communal space where everyone can go to, everybody can hang out, kind of like the equivalent of a park. Mm. But there's food, like mangoes grow on the trees and stuff like that, or the well. Yeah, I just like the idea of everybody being able to take care of each other instead of having to rely on these isolationist mm. type approaches. And I think even your story really plays into that. Yeah. Or, yeah. The need for community, the need for connection, that it's okay to need each other, it's okay to have needs. Mm -hmm. That's all kind of some radical change of um, It's okay to ask for help. Exactly. It's okay to not be perfect or right. not perfect. Right. I was curious, Montana, you had shared with us earlier about your degree in college, where you went with that. And yeah. I'm wondering how that came about. Yeah. Um, I actually took, um, like I was saying earlier, I was a communications major at Ohio State. And I just decided to take one semester where I would just look through the whole class catalog and see what sounded interesting and wouldn't go towards any like gen eds or anything like that. And so I took a semester where I just took classes that I thought sounded really cool. And one of the classes was, um, it was actually called um, Sexuality and Violence. And it was talking about kind of like the power dynamic between um, men and women and how violence might play into that. And um, 
I just felt like I was learning a lot of things and also learning how to support survivors mm. of any type of trauma. And um, I really enjoyed that. And I ended up just completely switching my major and my minor. Um, had to take a fifth year. But that's okay. Um, and I became a women's studies major and a sociology minor. So, yeah. Was there anyone in particular that was an impact for you taking that direction? Um, no one directly impacted me. I think it was just my own curiosity that made me, you know, even take that semester to just explore my interests. Um, and, but I will say my aunt, I call her my hippie aunt. She, <laughs> she lives in Ann Arbor. She's very just very outgoing, um, you know, goes to all the protests that you can think of. And uh, she <laughs> she um, really, really liked that. And I actually ended up getting a the feminism symbol tattooed onto my ankle. So she That's was awesome. She <laughs> digged it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she yeah, really liked that. I did want to clarify for our listeners as well who haven't maybe been directly impacted by the activist movement or even women's movements year after year, but rather um, feminism to a lot of people is this idea of women dominance. Mm -hmm. But something that I want to clarify as well is that feminism is gender equality and just treating people with respect. And we kind of have a like a masculine focused society Mm. and it's one that hurts our mental health as well. The same, it's all connected. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But just to say that um, feminism is about caring about both genders, that Mm. the man shouldn't be the center of the household who makes all the decisions and whatever he says goes, but rather that everybody is a person in that household and they all deserve an equal voice Mm. and personhood. Yeah, and also to, you know, put it towards mental health, you know, the man shouldn't have to like always be strong. You know, he can, you know, get counseling. He can ask for help. It's, you know, empowering men as well to, you know, be able to say I'm not okay and I need help and, you know, for others to take notice and help. Yeah. That is so impactful too. And we've talked about this on a couple episodes with Charles Roberts and with Jason Wellman how they both talked about how they needed that support as men because to even cry Mm. is something that is frowned upon or seen as weak or something that men don't do. And so to even have that vulnerability is healthy because it's one of our emotions (laughs) Yeah, is to feel sadness. It's okay. And so, yes, I would definitely say I'm a feminist and a strong feminist Mm. because it's an ideology that, tries to listen to everyone, including men, because this ultra masculinity hurts men. Yeah. And women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It hurts everyone. And sure. it's been hurting us for like thousands of years. <laughs> so imagine that trauma from generation to generation. Yeah. I could go on all day. <laughs> <laughs> I could too. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to mention? in trying to educate myself about this topic and people having suicidal thoughts and um, intent, I did, and, you know, kind of tying in the feminism thing, uh, when I 
was with the suicide prevention organization on campus, we did talk about how men's um, men typically uh, complete suicide more than women. You know, the numbers are vastly skewed towards, you know, men ending up taking their lives and women, you know, surviving attempts should that that happen. And so I think that it's good that we are also bringing in men into the discussion and trying to say, like, you know, it's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to get counseling, you know, if you need to get on medication and reach out for help. And, like, it's okay to not be okay. So Definitely. Yeah. I think some of our recent episodes have been really foundational. We had our first three episodes were a handbook for crisis and mental health. And when we mm-hmm. explained our the meaning of our name of Community Roots, we went back to the roots of Community Roots, has great support for people that are overwhelmed and needing to know how to feel more stable. But then also just recently, we've had episodes on feelings and emotions and boundaries. And as we head into the holidays, I think we're going to head into some topics of coping skills and things because being around family and holidays are heavy times. We have more darkness outside and Mm. we lose sunlight. Um, Sometimes you get into some rough weather, depending on what area of the country you're listening in. Um, So those are all things that can help be a support to people. We really want to reach out and help the hurting. I wanted to take this opportunity to say that if you are having any suicidal thoughts or if you're contemplating suicide or a friend is, um, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text HOME to 741-741. But we've mentioned this before, reach out to your supports, reach out to your community because that is going to be the best way for you to get support is talk to somebody you know. These resources are there as well to put you on a good footing and making sure that you're okay and that you can get help. And we understand how hard that is to reach out and to build those safe networks. So many people just say, I don't have anyone. And so we've shared on our episodes about taking walks, getting outside, um, just finding people that you can greet and try to develop that where can I find connection so that I don't have to be isolated and alone? You know, and also on the other side, if you're a friend and you notice that someone that you love or care about is, you know, maybe acting a little different or um, feeling a little down or isolating themselves, most people, I don't know anyone that would be upset if you just asked if they were okay. So if you're a friend, you can reach out as well and say, you know, are you okay? Are you, I've noticed you're acting different. So reach out for sure. Absolutely. I felt at least in our culture to say like, Hey, are you doing okay? They'll be like, yeah, I'm doing fine. Mm. You got to follow up with the second, like, no, are you really doing okay? Because this is a safe place. Yeah. Then so people can open up. Absolutely. So um, we're reaching the end of our episode. Um, If you have any thoughts about this, if you have any stories connected to this, any questions or a place you'd like us to go in the future, email us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. 
Um, we'd love to interact with our listeners and hear what you guys are saying. Any stories you have, any ideas you have, please reach out to us. And don't forget to look us up on Facebook. We have a lot of different mental health encouragement and um, things that remind us of the topics that we've been sharing. And we'd love for you to join that community on Facebook. And we are also on Instagram. Look us up. Yeah, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. If you go to our Facebook, if you email us on Gmail, or if you just search us on iTunes, we'll give you <laughs> us the, you the link so that um, you'll be good to go. We like to end every episode by thanking people. Um, I want to shout out my whole family, Emma, Noah, Maddie, Todd, slash dad, and my two dogs, because they've been supportive <laughs> too. Three dogs. Oh. Um, just uh, And my mom of course, who's with me, but just a shout out because through these episodes, I really do appreciate the closeness of our family and the health of our family that we're able to talk stuff out. And I know we're always in progress and process. I'm excited to where we're going and I'm really proud of where we've been too. I'm thankful for new beginnings and new seasons and so grateful for support. A shout out to Samuel for working on my website for me <laughs> and Alex Alexander Wells um, came through for a logo for me as well like we had for Community Roots. He's also helped with my private practice and just the different mentors and friends that are supporting me through a lot of transition and change. I am so grateful. I just want to thank you guys for hosting, for having me on the show and definitely just reflecting on everything. I just want to thank my family. Um, you know, we've been through a lot and we're still very close. We're still very open with each other. And I know and recognize that a lot of people don't have that. So definitely makes me appreciate what I have. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Martin. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks for being here. Okay, we will see you next week for our regular Community Roots. We'll see you then. Thank you.